push you venture the no feminism zone the place where you join thousands of men around the globe who choose to say no no to a misandrist court system no to hypergamy robbing you blind and no to the feminist victim complex play that is invading our society i'm your host hill o'reilly and this is the MGTOW Factor. In the news this week, there has been a lot of big stories. A couple of major ones with huge implications for our country. On the evening of June 17th, 2015, a mass shooting took place at Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Nine people were killed, including the senior pastor, a state senator, and there was a tenth victim that survived. This is one of the oldest black churches in America, um, and the suspect, 21-year-old Dylan Roof, apparently wanted to start a race war. And, of course, the media has been having a heyday with this. I don't have much to say about this except for This is a tragedy any way you slice it. Um, This individual uh, is going to be called a lot of things, and a lot of things are going to get blamed, but really it's just uh, a a very sick and deranged and lost individual. Um, It it takes a a person that just... uh, has no connection with with reality or or other human beings to be able to just continue to shoot person after person you know nine unarmed individuals um, and this individual this roof character uh, even said himself that he almost couldn't go through with it because they were just so darn nice but um, our prayers are definitely with the families And on the gay marriage front, the Supreme Court finally made their decision. And SCOTUS, as it's called, the Supreme Court of the United States, ruled that it is unconstitutional for states or municipalities to deny same-sex couples the opportunity to get legally married. And... There's not much else to say about this, so I'll just talk about some of the Google headlines following this that uh, people are still talking about. Uh, Case closed. Most Americans by 51 to 33 percent say local and state officials now should allow gay couples to wed in their jurisdictions, even if they have particular moral reservations of doing it. Uh, 51 percent say they should have to go ahead and do it anyways. Uh, They agree with this Supreme Court rule. Uh, Another headline says, With its goal met, gay advocacy group will shut down. And that's one positive thing about this. Uh, However you feel about gay marriage, we can all be glad that now we won't have to hear about it anymore. Um, That is a huge positive. Um, This is not something that I particularly feel very strong about um, kind of as a tarian, I am more about economic issues and 
in a perfect world, I say we would just get the government out of marriage altogether. But um, if not, you know, of course people are going to argue over what marriage actually is. And still, another headline says, New Coalition Pledges to Fight Gay Marriage. Uh, an ex-gay therapist, David, addresses the media as other anti-LGBT leaders. Uh, launch of the Real Marriage uh, program. So there are still some that uh, do not accept this ruling, that want to fight it. And Missouri County cancels mourning for gay marriage. There were leaders in Dent County, Missouri, that were planning on mourning uh, marriage and the loss of marriage in the same way that um, public mourning is carried out for famous people that died, famous leaders or presidents, um, or when there are um, grave tragedies such as terrorist attacks, etc. The flags will often be put at half-mast, and this Missouri County um, planned on lowering their flags to half-mast in um, basically protest over the loss of traditional marriage, but they ended up canceling it because of the public outcry. And the last big story to talk about is that Harvard will field the first openly transsexual athlete. Now this is a swimmer, a top recruit for Harvard University's women's swim team, has swapped her gender and decided to swim for the men's team instead. As reported by Swimming World, Schuyler Bailar was a top female swimmer in the county in high school, helping to set a high school record for the girls' 400-meter relay. But after graduating in 2014, she took a gap year. Perhaps this is a British newspaper reporting on this American story, because we don't use the expression gap year. Anyways, during which she came out as transgender and underwent surgery to transition to living as a man. The switch reportedly means Bailar will be the first openly transgender swimmer to compete at the collegiate level. While the transition took place back in 2014, it was only in the spring that Bailar fully committed to joining the men's team instead of the women's. Since going public with her new identity in May, Bailar has taken to Instagram to chronicle her journey through a series of pictures and encourage other young people coping with gender identity issues. Now, the thing I want to say about this is that I am... As conservative as I am, I am I'm definitely sensitive to the the plight of transgender individuals and I believe it is it is legitimate. Um I'll get a lot of flack about this, but the most compelling evidence that I, I can cite, um that you can look up right now is um look up the there's this young uh boy who is become a girl named Jazz, you know, like the like the music, J-A-Z-Z. Um, watch some of, of these videos of Jazz when um, she 
was very young. Um, they are very compelling. Um, this is just one example, but parents with these transgender children, they say these, these differences are, are apparent immediately. I mean, at age two, you know, um, and I don't have children myself, but I have a niece and a nephew, and I can tell you, since day one, um, boys are programmed to be boys and girls are programmed to be girls. So if there is uh, a difference, it will be very clear. I mean, boys are playing army and playing with trucks and rough and tumble, and girls are wanting to to be princesses and in dresses and play house. And, you know, this all makes evolutionary sense. You know, women are doing role-playing. Girls are doing role-playing because they are preparing to be a mother, uh, to, you know, take care of children. That's why young girls are able to take care of their even younger baby siblings at a very young age because um, evolution has caused them to be able to do this at a very early age because women are able to have children of their own at very young ages, you know, um, 11, 12, whenever puberty hits. They, of course, needed to be mentally able as well to take care of them. Now, we in our modern society delay having children to much more appropriate ages, but uh, as far as nature is concerned, these preparations uh, need to get completed as, as quickly as possible. So, that's just basically my my thoughts on it. Is it a disease? Should it be considered a psychological disease or disorder? You know, I, I don't know. I would need to do so much more more research, and I'd like to interview um, many transgenders, etc. Um, and I, I understand the criticisms that even after these surgeries, um, many of them still do not find the changes or the solution they wanted, and the um, rate of suicide for post-op transgenders is very high. But... Um, most of them you talk to, they, they feel so relieved, and it's, it's just tough to argue with that. You know, I'm a very conservative guy, I really wish we could go back to leave it to beaver type things, and I think very strongly about issues of sexual morality, but, you know, I gotta call it how I see it, and I, I really believe, as an individual, as a Christian, as a Catholic, an individual that very much believes in the soul... You know, I, I do believe it's possible that a soul can be born in the wrong body. You know, whatever it is, the soul, the mind, whatever we call it, um, just the way transgenders describe it, being born in the wrong body, it seems like that's really what's going on here. So anyways, um, I don't know what to do about it, but I just certainly have some empathy for them. Okay. Anyways, that story about this Harvard swim tranny takes us to our main topic, which is about the college situation and how out of control it has gotten. Academia is where all this stuff starts. Now, if you've heard the expression cultural Marxism or, or any of these buzzwords, um, you should know that this very deadly mind virus it starts in academia, um, especially in the upper echelons, and they are very successful at espousing this stuff 
at, uh, at indoctrinating students with it, as well as their staff at um, enforcing that one view is, is tolerated and any deviations is not. And there are big political implications why. You know, the rape culture hysteria on campus is something completely fabricated. I don't need to probably go any further from that with that. Um, rape is one of the main things our society abhors. The idea that it is uh, just commonplace and that it's encouraged or not considered a problem or, or, or t- accepted is just nonsense. Um, straightforward nonsense. Perhaps in the, the Middle East or in the African Congo, but here in the Western world, um, a woman only has to as much as accuse a man and his life is over, which is the biggest problem in terms of campus culture and environment for men is this lack of due process. Even some campuses going as far as to institute yes-means-yes policies where uh, consent doesn't just mean that they wanted to and they were engaging in it. They have to physically verbalize the word yes for each additional um, stage in the process. Yes, you may go up my shirt. Yes, you may take off my pants. Yes, you may insert your... You know, it's uh, not how things happen in the real world. And of course, I I doubt that this is ever um, enforced for the man, that the woman has to get consent to perform sexual acts with the man. Now, again, I am very... Uh, have very strict beliefs about sexual morality and really think we need to go back to a time that that regarded sexuality in a much more sacred manner. I think that would improve relations between men and women and, and stop some of the the egregious, you know, uh, offenses and abuses and um, extorting and everything that women engage in um, the fact that there are no social consequences for for harlotry is a big reason why we have what we have face now going on um, title nine uh, legislation that was supposed to ensure basically equality in campus you know that women would have opportunities to do sports as well even though they don't want to as much as men um, is now something that is being used to try to fight back. There was a couple uh, men that used Title IX to try to fight some of the these sexual allegations that they've had unfoundedly, and the fact that they had no representation and that it's so one-sided. Um, we'll see how that ends up going. I'll read from a voice from male students. A few years ago, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission became aware that numerous colleges and universities were granting affirmative action to male students. They promptly swung into action, launching an investigation of 19 schools, according to an article at U.S. News. We hope to start a conversation on how to deal with it, 
says Gail Harriet, one of the group's commissioners and a law professor at the University of San Diego. Here's an idea, Dr. Harriet. Why not deal with it the same way you have historically dealt with affirmative action for women? Which would be by doing nothing, by the way. And if you think what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander, you probably shouldn't be the one spearheading the conversation on affirmative action for male students in the context of gender equality. I'm not sure if Dr. Harriet is a feminist per se, but many other feminists were quite happy to express their reservations and critiques on the matter, according to another article at U.S. News. There's no easy answer as to what's legal and what isn't legal. Um, yes there is, says Marcia Greenberger, correspondent of the National Women's Law Center. Even so, the continuing practice of admissions departments is worrying says Emily Martin, Deputy Director of the ACLU Women's Rights Project. It raises questions about punishing girls for their success. <laughs> Strange! When women benefit from affirmative action, feminists seem to think it is a very easy answer. We don't even talk about it being illegal if you bring up that affirmative action is the equivalent of discrimination. A feminist will probably sneer at you. And when did a feminist ever give care that affirmative action for women might punish boys for their success? Quite interesting. <laughs> Punishing girls for their success. Affirmative action. We, we see colleges are so hostile towards men. The environment is so anti-male that the percentages have, have dropped off like a cliff. And now we have 60% of women in college and only 40% of men. And on some campuses, of course, it is far, far worse. You know, 75%. Um, and so, now being eligible for affirmative action, men are being considered in the context of this law. And what do we have but feminists saying women are being punished for their success? <laughs> Isn't that what men were being all along with affirmative action to begin with? They have no integrity whatsoever, no interest in equality. It's just whatever will benefit me. And this is why we men need to stand up and say, no, do not let them shame us. Do not let them wriggle out because if they can get away with it, they will. Women don't have an internal moral system the way men do. They don't have a, a, a dignity, an honor, you know, uh, a... Uh, a guilt-based moral system. They only have an external, shame-based moral system. So when there are no social consequences for, for something that will benefit them, they will do it. So it's up to us to keep those external consequences on them. You call it slut-shaming, but if you don't, they do not have the capability to control themselves, much like children. Children say they don't want any rules, but if you let them do whatever they want, they will be miserable or most likely dead. You do not love a child that you just let do whatever they want. Now, women will huff and puff at this, saying, so you're saying women are children? In some certain specific ways, yes. If, if, if wanting rules, if wanting others to to hold them accountable because they can't do it themselves 
is, is being like a child, then yes, in some crucial ways, many women are like children. So, we're talking about the issue of sexual assault allegations. For example, they can go into college today and be charged with any type of sexual harassment or sexual abuse, and there doesn't have to be really proof shown that they've done something. There are a lot of cases across the country where men actually can be charged with a very low preponderance for crimes as hideous as rape. And there's campus tribunals at some of these colleges that just say, you know what, we think you did something, and you're out of school. The presumption of innocent doesn't function in, th in these campus tribunals. And even if you get through the tribunal, there's still the tribunal of community opinion. Think about the lacrosse players who were accused of raping Crystal Magnum. That was the stage name of the stripper who accused the Duke lacrosse players of rape, but later recanted. Imagine how these men must feel. It's just in our society. We don't care how men feel. We only care about how women feel. A man was suspended for three semesters by the University of Boulder, Colorado for sexual misconduct, even though police filed no charges against him, and his accuser admitted she wanted to scare him when she made the complaint. So John Doe, as he is known in court records, filed a lawsuit against the university saying his rights had been violated under Title IX, the 1972 law that forbids universities from discriminating on the basis of sex. Women have for years invoked Title IX in fighting campus discrimination, most famously in matters related to women's sports teams and their funding and facilities. But now men are arguing that bias cuts both ways. The jury on that is still out. Media in the Manosphere this week had some noteworthy happenings. The Honey Badgers were on a road trip, so unfortunately there was no Honey Badger radio or Badger pods. However, they look like they've been doing well since they were able to successfully crowdfund another event. They were passing through my area, so I offered to buy them lunch, and my sister lives in Minneapolis, so she and her husband could have maybe, maybe put them up for a night. But anyways, I hope they'll have some interesting footage and content for us, uh, and hope they enjoyed their Meet Space meeting. Uh, it was for a Gamergate meetup. And this will be the first time they've been together since the Calgary Expogate scandal. And Based Mom made an appearance on NPR. Uh, it was a debate program called Intelligence Squared, and she had a great showing. I won't spoil it and tell you if she won or not. They do vote at the end and pick an actual winner, but I'll leave that for you to see. So you can check that out on iTunes. Intelligence Squared, or probably on NPR.com. Pinheads and Patriots! Legendary children's author Judy Bloom made our list for Patriarch this week. Although she looks like a stereotypical feminist cat lady, she actually looks kind of like Susan Sarandon. But Miss Bloom is actually an outspoken critic of censorship, and in an interview she called modern college students babies. And she said the concept of trigger warnings makes her blood boil because she's had some of her books put on the banned list. And our pinhead of the week is a Tumblrista named Zelda of the blog. Get this, www.heroine-girl-tastebeautiful, one word there, .tumblr.com. And she wrote this post. 
Five ways heroin-addicted women have it worse than men. As a recovering heroin addict and a feminist, I can tell you that the long tendrils of oppression do not leave the drug world out of their reach. Drug addiction is tough, but men are privileged in these avenues as well. From personal experience, here are five ways that heroin-addicted women are disadvantaged compared to men. 1. Women make 77 cents for every $1 that men make, so they can't afford their habit as well as men. 2. Women are more likely than men to turn to the sex trade to pay for their drug and avoid withdrawal. 3. Heroin-addicted women are extra susceptible to the rape culture because they are around bad men. They're all bad. They're spelled T-H-E-R-E. 4. Heroin-addicted women who choose to be sex workers to pay for their addiction are called dope hoes because of slut-shaming. 5. Heroin-addicted trans women are extra disadvantaged because even if they're willing to turn to sex work, they often can't find tricks who are interested and they have to suffer excruciating withdrawals. Well, folks, it speaks for itself. Heroin-addicted women have it worse than men. Those privileged little shits. Feedback. Alright, this is the listener feedback segment, but because we're new, I don't really have any questions to answer, so I'll just read some replies to tweets. Alright, I posted a, a tweet encouraging users to retweet to make Judy Bloom a based mom like Christina Hoff Summers because of her comments about trigger warnings and how she hates them. And this tweet actually went viral, getting retweeted over 150 times, uh, had a reach of over 20,000 people, and an article was even written on BuzzFeed News, and I was mentioned in it. Some responses were, at Kobe R. Narntab, I read almost all of her books growing up. Holy shit. Well, can't say I care for the language, Kobe, but I did as well. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, I believe, was one of my favorites, and I read it about when I was in fourth grade. User Grampy Bone said, Trigger warnings trigger her? Checkmate, social justice warriors. And Grampy Bone, I agree. Uh, This is a good point. Social justice warriors say trigger warnings not only should be used to warn students of, of bad material, but material that requires a trigger warning generally shouldn't even exist to begin with. You know, they don't believe in free speech. Um, so if they say that So if Christina Hoff Summers says that trigger warnings trigger her, well then, I guess trigger warnings shouldn't exist. By their own logic. And in response to that that heroin article that I posted on a blog of mine, or I I think I linked to it on Twitter, um, The Right Stuff said, This has to be satire. What the fuck did I just read? I don't know The Right Stuff. Um... You know, I think they call this Poe's Law. Anyways, this user, uh, T-H-A, writes stuff on Twitter, uh, actually has a podcast of, of his own, and it's excellent. It's a group of them 
called the death panel and it's got some convert controversial controversial stuff um but the production value is very high and it is always an interesting podcast it's called the daily showa by the right stuff dot biz all right please do send in some questions for next time for me to answer or just some comments or observations or whatever high quality comments though got to be worth its salt for me to read it on the show here. If I end up taking donations in the future, I might also thank people during this segment. Sciencey science, Batman. It seems criticism of a certain branch of inquiry that seeks to find the root of many observable human behaviors and cognitive idiosyncrasies has been spreading through the manosphere. Like a rash that you probably should just be leaving alone. And the only thing all of this hullabaloo is making clear is just how many people don't understand the basics of science, logic, or even just the way knowledge and information work. MGTOW hanger-on Diana Davidson has apparently joined this camp, using the kind of head-scratchingly bad arguments against Evo Psych that you'd expect to see in the blue pill, like that it's not real science because it's all untestable, just-so stories. But all science is just-so stories. The scientific method can't prove anything absolutely. A hypothesis is proposed, and then experiments are run, and the results either support that hypothesis or not. I don't know what Miss Davidson's motivations are for the sudden change in her positions, but I wager they will become clear very soon. And that's the memo. Speaking of evolutionary psych, our word of the day is hypergamy. Hypergamy. The act of marrying up or trading up, a concept of frequent discussion in both the MGTOW and PUA communities. Prefix hyper, meaning above, and gammy, meaning marriage, as in bigamy or polygamy. Hypergamy. Hypergamy. That's it for this week. Tune into The Factor next week and leave us your feedback on Twitter at username SpecialFester. Name in town, name in town, name in town if you wish to opine. Good night. And remember, the only cure for what ails this society is the red pill.